Uh, if you've got your Bibles there, we're going to open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'll give you a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We just started making our way through the book of Timothy, and we're going to talk about some of the false teachers that were propagating at the time. Um, very sad um, part of church history is when false teachers were abounding. The Lord Jesus promised this would be the case, and um, we're going to just uh, get a bit of a feel for that today. So it's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 to 11, and the sermon that I'll be preaching today is how do we fit God's law in relation to the gospel? I'll say that again. How do we fit God's law in relation to the gospel? Paul has heard of these teachers in the church who do not understand how to use God's law and the gospel, and they are misteaching that relationship between the law and the gospel, and by doing so, they are impinging or impacting the faith of many. So forgetting it wrong, it is impacting faith negatively of Christians. Uh, today I pray that from this sermon you will be equipped to identify others who might attempt to misuse the law, but also that you might be a Christian who will be able to educate or counsel another Christian who has been abused by a false teacher who has had the law uh, misrepresented to them in their life. And, and I'll get into why that's important, because if we get the law wrong, we get our relationship with God wrong. So we'll, uh, let's read together 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 to 11. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their mothers, are their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. So there's a bit there, and we're going we're gonna to break it down together. But the first point I want you to take away from what I have just read is this. They are confident in what they're teaching, though it's false. That's, that's one of the first things he says. They so confidently affirm what they're teaching. Um, so I guess the best way to put this is we, we sometimes get a picture of a con man being someone that calls you into a dark alley. If you've been to um, a less fortunate country, this has happened to you. You get called into a, a, a side of the street or a dark alley and they say, look, I have genuine Rolex. And the first thing I think when I hear that and they go, oh, it's only 30 bucks. And I'm like, this has either been stolen, but more likely this is a con. This is not genuine. And so we might think that con men are like that, but that's not actually the reality of most con men. Con men are people who sound very confident, very well-worded, but I want you to know 
confidence and being able to speak and articulate well is not a marker of truth. And that's what Paul's saying. Just because they sound that way does not mean you run off and believe them. Um, You can get Mormons and Jehovah's Witness and all types of other religions even, Buddhist, Hindu, and they'll look you in the eye, they have tears streaming down their face and saying, if you only knew what I knew, if you only believe what I believe, but if it comes in opposition to the Word of God, what do we say? No, it's a con. I'm not going to defy scripture no matter how emotional you become, no matter how convinced you are of a lie. So that's the first thing I want to note about, unfortunately, false teachers. Uh, But I guess to to understand how we might not fall into this trap is how are they misusing the law? And why does Paul say that it's for not the righteous but the unrighteous? It's It's going to come up as well. And in the coming weeks... Um, I want to just, it will come up and I'll just sort of flag it now. In the coming weeks, we're going to see that the way that they're using the law, one way is that they're adding to the law of God. It's not there, it's not God's law, but they will say from their own authority, this is a law that I have for you that you must follow. And if you don't, there will be a relationship issue between you and God. So they're making it up. Today, what we're going to see is false teachers who unjustly and in a very condemning and demeaning way use the law as as a bit of, I guess, a a hammer to crush Christians, to, to control Christians, which is equally not on. Uh, I I guess a a good way to explain it would be how hard it would be to form a relationship with God if we have been manipulated to think he is something that he's not So when someone tells you something of God that's a lie, tells you a a law that you must follow, or they're making things up as they go, or they're going too rigorously and too harshly upon you with the law, what are you going to do? You're going to think, well, this is what God's like. That's a big problem. Because we know that a law sets the boundaries of a relationship. Like there's a reason I didn't drive 200 kilometers an hour to get here from South Grafton. It's because in our culture and in our system, there's a law not, not to just make me late. Like, you know, you can drive that fast. No, it's, and it's not for whether I'm late or not. It's actually there so that we could be safe together on the road. So that as a community, we can work together, follow the rules together, and then it builds us up. It's a, it's a sort of, I guess, an unspoken social contract that we obey. Some might do it just because they fear the, the fine at the end of the day, and, uh, but others are like, actually, I maybe care about the other people on the road, so I'm not going to just shoot off and, and go my own speed. Um, but here's the flip side to that. Imagine if an officer comes to you and, and they say, they pull you over, the lights go on, they pull you over, they come to the side of your, your window there and they say, you know what, you look like a speeder, so I'm going to give you a fine. Oh, hang on, I, did, I, I wasn't speeding, I, I've no, I, I don't speed, I, maybe if I go down a hill, a bit, you know, I make mistakes, but I'm not someone who's a perpetual lawbreaker and how could you judge me like that? I look like a speeder, what does that mean? And he doesn't care and he writes up that ticket and he says, go take it to the court. That would, be, that would be terrible. Uh, here's another, another issue that goes on, and it sort of speaks into this, is what if the uh, same scenario, but the police officer pulls you up and then just starts making up laws. He can write whatever crime he, th- he thinks you've committed. It may not even exist. You know, you, you, you indicated too fast. 
Like, what does that mean? And so they, and this is what was happening in the church. They're just making up laws and handing that down, that prescription down. But here's the problem, and it's the same when you go to other nations where there are corrupt police. What's the first thing you think when an officer mistreats you? This whole system is corrupt. And worse still, the leader is corrupt. And that's exactly the charge that Christians have against we have that against our God because others have manipulated the law of God and made him seem like he's either tyrannical or he's whimsical and just makes laws up and you never really know where you stand in the relationship. And it couldn't be further from the truth. God's not like that. God doesn't change. God is loving and merciful, not harsh, not a tyrant. In our text, Paul today reminds Timothy that God's law is for the the unrighteous. God's law is for the unrighteous, not the righteous, which could indicate for us the harsh application that they were applying upon the people. He's like, whoa, the way they're using it is not right. It's for them, not you. And I want to explain what that means because some of you will be like, hang on, aren't we meant to follow God's law? Why Why would he say that? Uh, and he gives some examples, as I said, of the, the manipulation or twisting of the law, talking about dietary requirements and the abstinence of marriage, which is in chapters 4 and 6. As I say, we'll get to that in a few weeks. Um, but again, for today, it's this unjust, untruthful condemnation that these teachers are putting down upon the people. And I'll be honest, it's a form of control. It's a fear-based form of control. You can manipulate people. And for the Christian, this is the saddest part, for the Christian, it actually comes from a good place. What? I'm dishonoring God by not doing what you're teaching me. You're, You're saying that's from God. Well, I don't want to do that then. You see what I mean? We have a good intention. We want to serve and follow God, and whatever whatever God wants, we want to do. We want to live up to that standard as best we can. So when there's lies being propagated, when there's condemnation being handed down that is unjust and unfair, it's it's a form of manipulation and control for those who are sincerely just wanting to follow God and do the right thing. So what a terrible time to be a Christian in Ephesus. I actually want to note as well that if, if, if we're going to talk about people that make up rules and, and are, are too harsh with condemnation and maybe even have other ways of salvation, you could almost lump most of the people who call themselves Christians into this category. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying we're the only denomination and there's, there's plenty of godly, wonderful uh, churches out there, but if we're just going to like just zero in on the Roman Catholic Church, I've got some issues where I feel they have added to the words of God. They have found other ways of salvation outside of Christ alone, and also they do twist the word of God in certain places. But that's most of the people in the world who call themselves Christians. I'm not saying everybody subscribes to everything that the the high-ups believe, but it looks pretty bad. And if it was happening in Ephesus, when the apostles were still alive, roaming the earth, who was the head of the church back here? It was Christ's appointed apostles, and these false teachers are challenging them. How much worse is it today? It's horrible, and it's everywhere. 
But again, I'm not talking about every person or every denomination. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to think that uh, we've got it all and, and no one else does. It's, uh, God's in control of all of it. I don't lose sleep over that. So again, how can we avoid this? It's by understanding, this is what Paul says in the text, it's by understanding how to apply God's law in relation to the gospel that we have. That's all he's saying. If you get this right, and I pray that today you're going to walk away, you're going to absolutely understand this, and you're not only going to be able to help yourself, protect yourself, but also maybe help another brother or sister who's fallen into this type of trap. Uh, First of all, according to Paul, it is not for the righteous. Verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 1 is, the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious. Now, he clearly covers five of the Ten Commandments there. Uh, Honor your mother and father, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not lie. They're just bang, 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 bang. It's almost like Paul's going, they think they know the law, I can just, I can rattle this off all day. I know the law. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew it better than them. Uh, but I want to just say here, notice uh, when, he, when he talks about some of the sins being mentioned of these people, he actually throws in very culturally relevant sins. He doesn't just go word for word, Ten Commandments, like I said, like, honor your mother and father, you shall not murder. He doesn't actually do it like that. He, he adds things like the sexually immoral, which is a bit further than adultery. Yes, it's covered under that branch of the Ten Commandments, and he covers also homosexuality, enslavers, and perjurers. And really what I feel Paul is doing here is he's speaking into the sins of the culture that do fall under the Ten Commandments, but he's speaking directly into the sins of the culture, and I bet you I know why, because these false teachers are really quick to try and strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. What do I mean by that? Is they're they're trying to labor laws that they're making up on you while they're leaving the culture dead in their sin. Now, Jesus warned us of these types of people. They, they love the, the praise in the marketplace. They have flowing robes, but what's their big problem? They're people pleasers. It's a lot easier to push around Christians who are convinced that you're teaching them the right thing than it is to go out into the culture and really call out the stuff that is hindering them from a relationship with God. Pretty funny, isn't it? Pretty sad. But what is meant, uh, what is meant that by this, these five commandments not being for the righteous? I mean, that's probably the big question I've got with all of this because um, I thought we were under the Ten Commandments. Um, and, and I assume when he says that it's not for the righteous, um, I, I believe he's speaking about Christians. We are righteous in Christ. Um, Because we are never labeled. Because he says, this is who the law is for, and this is why I'm going here. We are never labeled in Scripture. This is after we've come to Jesus. We're never labeled as lawbreakers, rebels, ungodly, sinful, unholy, and irreligious. That doesn't exist in God's vocabulary for his children. Actually, we do get close in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, where he does say, and that is what some of you were. That's, that's how close we get to those labels. That is what you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that interesting? I think that's remarkable that God speaks of us in such, in such beautiful ways. 
that, he, that, that even Paul's cottoning on that, no, you don't use the law like that on my children. Not what you're doing. You don't do that to my children. You see, Satan cannot condemn us because we are free by the blood of Jesus. Nor can a false teacher hold us as slaves again under the law because if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. It doesn't work like that anymore. I'm sorry, the relationship has completely changed with God. You can, you can say, I have sinned, but you cannot label me a sinner. We just don't see that in the New Testament of true, born-again, spirit-filled Christians. This is a wonderful and reassuring reality all Christians share at all times because right now, brothers and sisters, you are already walking in the victory of Jesus. It's, it's something to come. We will, be, we will stand in glory. We will be, our hearts will be completely transformed. But right now, you are still walking in that victory that Jesus has wrought at Calvary. But again, what is meant by God's law not being for the righteous? Uh, we, get a, we get another example here in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14, which says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And what does this grace do? This is, his, this is his point. What does grace do for us? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You probably don't need a wrecking ball for that person. They have the Spirit. The grace of God is within them. You know, when, when someone comes to me and, and, and says, you've, Dan, you've lied, for instance, I don't need to go, show me in the scriptures where that's even wrong. Like, we remember the law is written upon the heart of the Christian. I'm not, I'm not under the condemnation of the law, but I know the law very intimately because I have an intimate relationship with the lawgiver. He's our father. That's why we don't use the law as a wrecking ball against true, born-again Christians. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. As you would no longer call a butterfly a caterpillar again, so a Christian is no longer defined as a sinner again, they are set free. I never see them flying around and go, that was a beautiful caterpillar. Well, that thing's different now. It's transformed, and so are you by the blood of Jesus. Uh, of our sin, the psalm is true. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Once the Lord begins a good work in us, he finishes it to completion. Yes, a Christian may strike their heel in sin, but no longer are they labeled a sinner because at Calvary's cross, Jesus took to himself that title on your behalf. He was labeled a sinner, though he himself had no sin. He was labeled a sinner taking your place, taking that title from you as he paid for that sin upon the cross. You could see how Paul might be really, really riled up at these false teachers and the corruption that this would cause if any of us swallowed their lies as well, swallowed the lies that are actually out there and so prevalent in even many places that call themselves Christian. 
Uh, Paul has given the reason why a true Christian is not bound by false teachers. And we, we went through this last week, but I just want to refresh. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And this is, this is for the true heart of a believer. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And you can see right there how false teachers can use that sincerity, they can use that purity of heart to manipulate and malign Christians with false laws and unjust application of the law. So those false teachers, they can keep their unjust uh, application of the law. They can keep it to themselves. For it is not needed upon the lambs of God. They are yoked sincerely to his side already. And here's another one. I just wanted to, to flag this with you. I, I want to warn you that you can also be your own false teacher. You, you may be your worst false teacher. Who's condemned you more than you've condemned yourself? Who's thrown you outside of the gates of heaven more than you've thrown yourself outside of the gates of heaven? You're not that old person anymore. You're walking in newness of life. You're walking with Jesus. Maintain the faith. Maintain the title that is yours in Christ Jesus. And so I just want to warn those whose consciences try and condemn them and malign them when God only sees his child who he loves. I would say it's only in times of prolonged and dire sin that the church weighs itself down carefully upon the Christian. And when the church does this, the Christian will be given power on high to break free of sin's hold. There are times where we need help. There are times where the church lovingly gets involved in order to restore, and this is when, when the, the wheels are going off the rails, there's a season of backsliding, whatever it may be, and the church only gets involved in order to help, to mend, and to heal. Sometimes it can be hard words, but it's done in a heart to restore them back to health in, in Christ, back to health in God. Uh, Psalm 32, 5, it reminds me of that. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's the purpose of the church when it needs to get involved. If, if a sin season is going on too much or it's too rampant. We are people of freedom, not bondage. Um, as some would have us believe. Let no one take you captive by unfounded, unjust applications of the law. Don't fall for it. Instead, the grace of God frees us to love the ways of God. The law becomes our delight. It brings scope and depth to our relationship with God. Who's, who's really blown it? really sinned, really made a mess of their day or their week, or they've just done a one-off thing, and, and they feel great in God. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I have stuffed up, and I really, I can't, I can't think straight until I've had time to resolve it with my Father. Can we see why the law doesn't need to be used as a weapon against us? And, and this is the problem, and that's what they're doing. But at the end of the day, the law for me, and I pray for you, is something we delight in. 
I love knowing the boundaries of the relationship. I love knowing what my father cares about and, and how I can best emulate him and get alongside him in this relationship because honestly, when I fail the standard or when I'm, when I'm making a mess of things, I feel a million miles away from God. We see in Ephesians, we can even grieve the Holy Spirit with some of our activity and we don't, we don't, we don't say, well, I'm outside of um, heaven now, I'm, Christ has rejected me, God's turned his back on me and then I'll, I'll be good enough or I'll get back on the, on the rails again and then God will accept me back. No, it's, the, I guess the most painful thing for me when I sin is that when I feel on the outer, he still loves me. The relationship hasn't changed. That hurts me more than if God would just be like, you get what you deserve, you fool. And this is what the false teachers would be doing. Not us and not our father. We don't get treated like orphans any longer. I, um, I've had false teachers, and you will too. You're going to run into people like this if you haven't already, who will try and ensnare you into their web of humiliation, condemnation, and shame, making you, making you look to obedience or lack thereof as the source of your relationship with God instead of just faith and love and hope. But there is one Christian they cannot ensnare, the one who delights in the law of the Lord, the one who meditates on his law day and night. Why is, can the law not be used in this way against this person? It's because we already know God's law. It's written on our hearts and we are naturally, naturally we're desirous to obey God. Our disposition is to desire to be obedient to God. And that's where they find their control. Remember I said earlier, that desire to want to obey God, they only need to make things up or be rigorous and too harsh, unfairly and unjustly, and you feel like they're speaking from God, and so you better follow them. Not if it doesn't line up with Scripture. Don't, don't, don't go down those roads. Uh, if we are trained right in the law of God, if we get this right, we resist people like this and we can teach other people to resist people like this because we know how loving and forgiving God is and that's something they lack. Remember, these people, if they're false teachers and, and they're teaching like this, they don't know the love of God. They never have. They don't know the abundance of His grace and how free we are in this relationship, free to be obedient and free to come to Him when we stuff up and be honest and say, God, Forgive me again. And that's another break of the hold of these people. If you're someone who repents often, and I don't know about you, but I, I need to come to God often. And you repent. You say, God, I've, I've blown it again. These people, they lose all power over you because when they say, when they point this out and this out and this out, you can say, yeah, I know. I know. Actually, all you're doing is you're making me love Jesus even more because you're just increasing the scope of, of why I need him daily. I need his grace every moment of my life. I don't want to do this on my own. Now, and you know how annoyed they get when you start speaking like this. They, they start calling you a false teacher. That's hilarious. And trust me, it'll happen. You'll come up against these types. Even if a person labels you a sinner, and we're not allowed to, we shouldn't be labeling ourselves a sinner anymore. Uh, regardless, we can constantly confess our sins and God's mercies are new every single day. So, 
uh, to the untruthfully harsh applicator of the law, we can say, who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it, God, uh, is it God who justifies? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? You just go and read Romans 8, 33 to 35 and watch them squirm. You have no right to condemn me. God has justified me through the very blood of his own son. Who are you to come to me with these accusations? Oh, they think you are unworthy of God? We agree. That makes us love him even more. Because what they're saying is that you're not enough. And I, and I agree, I'm not enough. That's why I need Jesus. I no longer fear the law of God. I embrace it willingly. Uh, they don't realize um, that God gave us Christ while we were still sinners. So when you came into this relationship, you brought nothing except your hopelessness. You confessed the Lord Jesus for your sin. God didn't owe you anything. God didn't need to save you and let you off at that moment. But what did he do? He lavished you with love. He forgave you of every sin. And so if you came in with nothing, why would you listen to someone telling you that you need to add things to that in order to continue this relationship? Instead, we continue in obedience. We continue in the relationship out of a heart that is so grateful and full of love for God. That's it. It's free. It's free. It's not a yoke of bondage. Jesus is not a yoke of bondage. I didn't obedience myself into this relationship, and so I don't want to obedience myself out of this relationship with God, if that makes sense. Um, and, I, and I just got to pause. I don't know about you, but I am so grateful to have such a loving Father. I think once we really understand who God is and that how the law is properly used... I mean, I'm just overwhelmed by how God has treated each and every one of us here. Now, Paul next week is about to say that he's the worst of all sinners and God saved him. I think all of us here at points in our life can put our hand up and confess, yeah, I, I am the worst of all sinners too. I don't deserve this. Obedience doesn't produce salvation, but covenantal bliss, which a true Christian desires. We who love God want to walk faithfully with him. And now the last question I want to answer, because remember, this is why the law shouldn't be used as a battle axe against you. And we get that now. We love God's law. We already desire to follow God with a pure and sincere heart. Like, you don't, you don't, need, to, you don't need to wail me with the law to control me. So we get that. But the question remains, well, how should we use the law? How should we apply it to lawbreakers rebels, the ungodly, sinful, unholy, and irreligious. And hearing that thunder, I feel like we need to get out there and really call these people to Christ. Honestly, honestly, if you're scared of thunder, I am when it strikes close enough to me. Um, I cannot imagine the day that, we, that someone would stand before God unclothed in Christ. And that's exactly exactly what we, we use the law for, and I'll, I'll read for you. The moral law is a gateway to dependence upon Jesus. 
the, the law is a blessing that allows sinners to understand their need for Jesus. That's why he's saying it. That's why the law is for them. And he uses very specific sins into the very culture that he's writing to in Ephesus. And he's, and he's saying, that's who it's for, the unrighteous, not the righteous. Don't bludgeon me. Go out and get them. Use the law to get them. And what do I mean by that? Let's say you've been working on a car, and if you're a man, you've got grease all over your face. If you're a girl, you've got splashed with water, and your makeup's running everywhere. I honestly want to tell you this. The, the worst thing, when you have to go out in public, you didn't get time to get all that grease off, or your makeup's running all over, that, all over the place. There's one thing worse than having to go out in public knowing you look like a bit of a shambles. It's when a friend comes along with their little mirror and says, look at you. Look at this. Hey, look, you've got grease all down the side of your face. You're a mess. Like, you know, you really need to clean that up. You know, and that's, that's exactly what the law does for these people who, who are dead in their sin. We're just putting God's mirror up to them and saying, you don't meet the standard. Now, I guess an unfriendly person would be someone who says, laugh at them, mock them, and show them, and then, and then go on with their day. But a true friend would say, Look, there's a lot of mess, there's a lot of filth there, but I actually know who can clean that off for you. I actually know that there, there is a saviour who can wash you whiter than snow, that your sin, you don't have to have your sin clinging to you any longer. Jesus will pay the full penalty that you deserve to pay for that sin. That's a true friend. And that's who he says the law is for. Yes, you're covered in sin. The law of God has shown you this, but I know who can clean you. That is who the law is for. We might argue it would be unfriendly to know that someone's got that issue and not bring it up. Well, we, we all have friends and family, maybe people that God has put on our heart where we're like, I really need an opportunity to share Jesus with them. Like I'm really struggling here because God's put it on my heart and I've not yet done it or there's been things that have got in my way. But I, I would argue that the, the, the worst thing would be to not even bring the mirror, not anything, and just go, there, there's a lot of mess, there's a lot of sin and I'm just going to sit on that. I'm just going to let that slide. That's probably the unfriendly thing to do, whereas Christ has called us to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation to share this good news that I'm telling you, that even false teachers would try and strip from us. This may be best to sum up the law pre and post Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. And I'm going to use the word tutor here. It can also be headmaster or it can be guardian, depending on your translation. It says, Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So, what did the law do? It was like a headmaster, a disciplinarian that would bring us to Christ. That's amazing. But here's what he says in verse 25. But after faith has come, we are no longer under that tutor. We're no longer under that headmaster or that guardian, meaning the law's the power has, has been diminished. It's been expelled from us because Jesus has paid the penalty for the law. We're no longer under it. Naturally, we see these people... Um, they, they do not know. These false teachers, they do not know any of this. So we could say the law is a club for the unsaved conscience, but not a weapon to hold Christians back from a loving relationship with God. 
Don't let false teachers or your own conscience condemn you and hold you back from God if you are in Christ. Instead, know how free you are and how much God loves you. Free to enjoy His law, growing in obedience and faith. That is God's law in its relationship to the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that we don't look to the law for salvation. We look to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would protect the the tens of thousands, millions of people, Lord, who may be under the yoke of the law. Lord, just about every false religion, Lord, they, they don't understand grace. They don't understand what it is to have their sins paid for by the risen Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would proclaim that message, Lord, to our friends, to our family, to this nation and to the world, Lord. Help us to play our part in this wonderful and good news and protect us, Father, as a shepherd protects his sheep from those who would look to steal away our freedom in Christ. Lord, we are so grateful that we are out from under the yoke of the law and that the purpose of the law was only to show us our need for Jesus. And so, Lord, please let no one cast that yoke of oppression back on us, not even our own conscience, Lord. Don't let us do it. As Father, time is too short and souls are too precious. We thank you again for this time, Lord, and pray you would bless us as we go about our week. In Jesus' name, amen.